Hi, this is Shannon. You're listening to Once Upon a Patriarchy. And now for the second half of the Princess and the Frog episode with guest Esther Moody Graf Radford. So, how do you think that these themes influence your work on a day-to-day basis? So, my work is so multifaceted. I run two or three parallel careers at a time. So I am a homeschooling mom of three kids, one of whom recently started at an adorable little Montessori school. But um, so I'm, I guess, a homeschooling mom of two kids right now. And my children are, my children are multi-ethnic French, Irish, Black, British, Russian Jews, right? My kids are a lot of things. And they, my kids are sitting squat at the middle of a lot of intersections. And I'm in charge of their education, partly because I don't think anyone who's not mindful of that can educate kids in that situation. So I spend a lot of time, my six-year-old is in that phase where her she's done a ton of categorizing, right? She's coming out of the categorizing phase and she's mm-hmm. into the trying to understand how her categories are fuzzy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she and I have been having a lot of conversations lately about my child, my youngest child has blonde ringlets and is very pink, but she knows who she is. And so we have a lot of conversations lately about her place in the community and the history of black womanhood, Mm -hmm. how there have always been black women who look like you Mm -hmm. And if they look like you, why are they still black women? Like, why is this not just about which Crayola crayon we're picking out of the box, right? Why? Why? What is the history of the concept of blackness? And why are you part of that history? Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to explain to a six-year-old. So in my work of trying to mother and educate kids who sit at these funky intersections, I have had to really think hard and think critically about some of the issues that are brought up by this movie, which is why I kind of think it's different for me watching it now mm-hmm. than then. Because mm-hmm. at that point, when yeah. in 2009, how many children did you have? I had two right? kids at that okay. point, okay. but I don't think that I had spent a lot of time mm. interrogating young. these questions either for myself, and that's due to okay. complex things in my own personal history, mm-hmm. and also, I just hadn't had a lot of time. I mean, I was, I had my children young. I was very busy, you know, getting a law degree, making a career for myself. And so I just didn't have a lot of spare mental energy. But homeschooling my kids for the last eight years has been a way of professionally building in, so to speak, time for my own curiosity and work on myself into my world. I also, I also work my law firm, I started my law firm with the goal of doing pro bono asylum work for refugees who are incarcerated in the four for-profit immigration detention centers here in Georgia. And though, so those concepts and that conversation that's raging right now around who we let in mm-hmm. and why and what our coded language around how we talk about that means mm-hmm. And I'm no academic expert. I'm sure that there are people out there who have written books and studied this. And, but my personal experience in talking to people, and because I'm a teacher, I always am teaching. So anything I learn, I'm then carrying out into a broader conversation. I can't help myself. It's a chronic condition. 
So you I do find it myself so well. in you do it so well though. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> That's the thing. I have to, I've, I've finally grown up enough to ask myself before I start, do I have the energy for this today? Actually, mm. I don't owe anybody my teaching that's energy. True. Do I have it to give as a yeah. gift? Yeah. So that's been a, that's been progress, right? Cause yes. I used to pour it out till I was dead. But you know, I, these questions of who gets labeled as what and how they have to position themselves as adjacent to what else to get acceptance is a huge part of the conversation we're having to have about our America right now. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is that when people say, oh, well, if immigrants would just come in the right way, quote unquote, I don't Mm. have any problem with that. But I think, you know, quote unquote, illegals Mm. Should be, I've heard everything from shot on sight to, you know, detained to just send them back where they come from. And my immediate question is always, okay, I don't want to argue with you, but please explain to me who you're picturing in your head when you say that. Mm -hmm. And also, please explain to me your understanding of, quote unquote, the right way to come to America. Because what I find is that... (laughs) People's understanding of the actual laws and how they apply is usually next to nil Mm -hmm. um, because it's complicated and because people are not actually talking about that. Mm -hmm. They're actually talking about their own prejudices and Mm -hmm. how they can cover them under a bumper sticker slogan about legality. Mm -hmm. But I really think like taking it back to some of the themes of like where we are and where I fear that we could be headed as a country like again it's not going to save you if the system is not set up to see people of color as humans yeah deserving of full rights no matter where you're from and that's just not where we are yeah and so that's a that's a complicated hurtful conversation but I, I I think for me that I can honestly say I don't like the princess and a frog I don't like Tiana I think that in 2009 it was a very different story for me I also think that I was so desperate for black representation in Disney that I took whatever they gave me and I was relieved to be counted. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a danger in that when you don't read the fine print. And I feel like today is the day that I didn't read, that it's the first time that I read the fine print on the contract. And we got the short end of the stick. We got a story that was never about us. And we got a story that was so fearful of showcasing black love and black femininity that it just did not (laughs) we were i think black culture was fetishized i think that um and we were also and black women were erased and i think that you know and i know like the black girl magic like we got one this is a win put it up on the board this is a w but it's not for me. It's just not. It 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 it. It was just so disappointing, and I was also like shocked that I didn't 
see it. Like I didn't see the gaps. I didn't see like they just it, there was just so much racism, so much erasure, and I I I can't I can't call this a win. I can't. Tiana is problematic because I think Disney upheld the trope of black woman with the world on her shoulders, taking care of everyone, stoic, will not bend, will not break. I don't sleep, you know, that kind of, you know, sleep is for, Mm -hmm. I sleep when I'm dead, you know, that kind of thing. And being, I think the other piece too, is what I thought was really interesting is that the amount of, and and I'm going to say violence, that she comes in contact with is very different than other princesses, right? And I think if they had kept her as a Black woman, it would have been much more problematic, right? This is someone who was captured. This is someone who was chased. This was someone who... It was a very different type of danger. Like, I think we're used to Disney princesses being in, in some form of danger experiencing near brush being saved that kind of thing i think it also um shows that you know nobody came to save her ain't nobody saving black women ain't nobody saving black women frogs right (laughs) (laughs) but um which is totally a thing yeah but i but i also think that um the there were just moments there were moments there when I was like, oh, the way that people handle her or the way that, you know, people talk to her, it it always, I was talking with my partner this morning in the car and I was like, I don't think America knows what to do with black women since they can't use them as chattel. I don't, I don't think, I don't know if they found out what, what to do with black women. Um, and I think that this is kind of a testament to that as well. Um, I know I'm disappointed. Can we talk just a little bit about the, the use of voodoo in the film? Please. Yes. Cause I found that very strange. Now I am not from a, I am not directly from a voodoo background. If any of my ancestors practiced it, I don't know about it. But what I do know about voodoo is that it's a, it was a, coping faith. I mean, it was a faith that came out of right. being kidnapped and forced mm-hmm. to blend elements of what you could remember. Exactly. It, it was a faith that came out of not having your ancestors to teach you. Right. So you take what you can remember, you're coping with trauma, you're mixing that together with what you know, and what the what the people who kidnapped you expect you to parrot from them. And you're crafting something authentic that helps you cope with where you are and helps you connect with your ancestors that you've been taken from. And so the only reason people who practice voodoo don't consider voodoo some sort of dark art. The only people who think of it as exotic and dark are the people who Hmm. see it from the outside and exotify it and don't Mm -hmm. understand it. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it was kind of strange in this age of sensitivity that there are two cultural things Mm -hmm. that get to be really made fun of and be unambiguously negative in this movie. And one was Cajun culture, Cajun accents, Cajun way of being in their environment. And the other was voodoo. Mm -hmm. 
and I found it really strange because, I mean, it's a religion. Like, if they had made a movie where um, it's a religion and it's not the dominant religion in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So if they had if they had made a movie where Catholicism was the evil and it was a Catholic priest hating this girl for no really well-explained good reason, <laughs> like there was never, a, there was never a reason. I mean, Jafar is a racist character in Aladdin, yeah, right? Yes. But at least we kind of know why he's motivated to hurt people. We don't really understand what Facilier's problem is. He's got this yeah. vague debt to the spirits. He's, he doesn't really get money out of this. He doesn't get social stuff. Why is he doing this? Voodoo just sort of shows up as mm -hmm. this evil. Mm -hmm. But the people who practice it don't see it's It was really strange co-opting of that tradition from a purely white Westerner perspective mm -hmm. that I couldn't. It was very distracting to me the whole movie. I was like, what are you, what, <laughs> what is happening well, here? In some ways it feels like they went to New Orleans for a week or so and they met with someone who, or they met with a couple of people who performed the white idea of what voodoo is for them mm -hmm. and married it back. And then they thought that they had done their homework. It seems like they went down to New Orleans for a vacation, got drunk, and was like, let's write the let's write the script now, drunk. <laughs> like, let's make a cartoon based let's on our a, yeah. Let's make the cartoon now. We drunk. This is great. Mm -hmm. We have had our tourist experience. I am so, so crunk. Let's write right now, drunk. Drunk writing. <laughs> <laughs> the princess and the frog. Who cares who's a fan? Well, and Voodoo in New Orleans <laughs> is a... What little I know is that there are other places where Voodoo is practiced where it's a male-dominated tradition, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there are lots of priests. Mm -hmm. But in New Orleans, my understanding, and I could be completely wrong, it's not like I'm a historian of this, but my understanding just from growing up where I grew up is Voodoo is associated with women. Mm -hmm. Mama Odie is much more the, the Louisiana picture of voodoo. And, and she, is she a voodoo practitioner in the story? Because that was no. unclear to me. Like, She's just a weird the lady who lives in a well, tree. But is she, or is she supposed to be... I, what was the alligator's name? I think the alligator did. I thought he said that she did talk about a, her as... I think I, I saw them as two opposite ends uh -huh. of, of, of a spectrum, right? And... I think she was presented as someone who could balance yeah. what it was that he was doing. I also saw, you know, when when the spirits were sent out to find Naveen, mm -hmm. it was actually her power that scared them away mm -hmm. from from them the first time. I, I I just don't think Disney does a good job with. I mean. Surprise, surprise, right? Disney doesn't do a good job with the intersections of people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. I think that you either need to be, I think they struggle with what does it mean being black? What does it mean being black in New Orleans? What does it mean being black in New Orleans and worshiping this type of religion specifically? Who, how can this all look and go together? And I think they just messed up in so many different ways. I think all around. 
it's cute. Mommy, oh, Mama Odie with the snake in the boat in the tree with a hole in it. And are those pel what were those pelicans that served as the choir? I don't know. I couldn't tell. It was just so much happening. And I just kept wondering, I was like, Mama Odie, is this your typical Friday? Like, you just got a choir birth? And I don't know. It went it went too far. Their style of animation when they went, the folks who worked on the film, one of the things I thought was interesting and kind of, because it reminds that whole sequence, like, you know, like the drunk elephants in Dumbo, like some mm -hmm. of those kind of like crazy sequences you see in early Disney. Mm -hmm. The animators for this film thought that Disney had gone astray with like the later, with the, with the princess films and wanted to hearken back to what they said were, were like, the pinnacle of Disney animation, which was Lady like, and the Tramp. Oh, and okay. I then the, the racism. Like, uh, did they go all the way back? Well, I feel like they did. Well, and <laughs> I found it really back. interesting because because of these sorts of things, the two movies they call back to in the visual style are Lady and the Tramp and Bambi. And I'm like, <laughs> really? For a princess movie? For a princess movie? Like, you don't a see black princess anything movie? problematic about, animals? about saying that you're going to do the first black princess movie. And your Basement. visual style, you're going to cite two movies that are are animal leads. Man, they trash. trash. Like, really? And you've turned them into frogs. Really? You don't see, there's nothing there. You're just not, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's it's that complete lack of self-awareness. Yeah, it's the othering. I, I think that, that it just goes back to the fact that I feel like even as a princess, a black princess, she was handled much more differently than any other Disney princesses. And the fates that befell her throughout her experiences were just, I, I, I was just, you, this wouldn't, I, I kept thinking, this would never happen to Snow White. Y'all would never let Cinderella <laughs> get played like that. Like, come on, Ariel, get out of here. And Ariel was legit dumb. And she still had a better face. She lost her voice. She was swimming around, but she was still like booed up with a human. I just found it strange <laughs> that literally the only perk of princessery. Well, first of all, it's a bunch of fake princessness, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. she's a Mardi Gras princess, yeah. so she can get like what? No, or she's a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we take Ooh. being Re we take Rex really, really seriously, and it is a huge, big deal to be Rex. Like, it, it's a big deal, but you're not a real princess because your daddy is the king of Mardi Gras. Like, that's not what that... And so, for me, it was like a lot of off-brand princessiness. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. and how come every other Disney movie, when the princess is the princess, she gets the trappings of princessery? Like, you get to live like a princess. Mm -hmm. Tiana's painting her own warehouse? Are you kidding me? Uh -huh. Like, there's no... Yep. Yeah, like she's a princess, but she's an off-brand princess. She's a princess who still has to work for a living. She's a princess who still has to put sweat equity into a dilapidated right. sugar mill to get a business going. She's like, what? How come? She's a princess. How come she's not a quote-unquote real princess? Because those kinds of she dreams are just for white people. It's just like, right. Well, and it's hard too. I think a thing that struck me too rewatching this right now that didn't exist in 2009 is Meghan Markle. Mm -hmm. Come on. And I'm not a royal family <laughs> watcher, right? Like I kind of... I was ready. I, I had a Meghan Markle. Come on, Esther. Let's talk yes. about Cousin Meg. Yes. So, so Cousin Meg, Cousin Meg, Cousin Meg. Cousin Meg looks just like... <laughs> 
She looks just like my little sister, y'all. Oh, does she? Like, if I showed you a picture of my sister and lied and told you it was a blurry paparazzi shot of Meg, you would think I was telling you the truth. Okay. Mm. So, something about me, even though I'm not a royal family watcher Mm -hmm. or an Anglophile, I, I... identify with her ascendancy to this position Mm -hmm. and with her marriage into this family. And I find my brain when I'm in the shower or vacuum in my house more than once. I have found myself thinking, how's Meg doing? (laughs) How is she handling this here? Because this has got to be, I mean, I hope that she and her husband did a lot of work beforehand and I'm sure they did with how is it going to be to be a black woman Mm -hmm. this publicly on view with all of these traditions that you have to uphold and all of this history and all and everything. How is that going to be? Yeah. And she seems so intelligent Mm -hmm. and he seems so caring and they seem so genuinely in love. And do you know what I have heard? I have heard that in certain fundamentalist evangelical circles in the U.S., the thought of a black duchess being in the line of succession for the throne of England, a country we don't even much live in anymore, <laughs> is so disturbing. Oh god. That they have there is a conspiracy theory floating around that he married her not because they're two people in love and because she's gorgeous and sophisticated and intelligent and up for the job and not many women are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that they are part of the royal family is part of a Luciferian (laughs) satanic cult. And that Satan himself somehow engineered Meghan Markle's marriage to a prince because he had because it furthers some vague Luciferian goal. We can't Mm. just have a black princess. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be the devil. So and now I, I'm scared for Tiana when she goes back and visit his <laughs> folks. But that's the degree to which people cannot handle the thought that through her own authentic merit, or just because she got lucky, or whatever you want to call it, when you marry a prince, or he got lucky, or he got lucky, he got lucky and she's kind of amazing. And I feel like that's a tough that's a tough gig, right? I I mm-hmm. don't know that my mental stability would be up for it. But like, people cannot handle her, right? And yeah. her love for her husband and them being a real couple. Mm-hmm. Got to bring the devil into it. <laughs> I thought that was just so wild. Mm-hmm. Last question. Boom, 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 boom. I'm ready. Esther. Yes. How would you retell the story of the princess and the frog? Mm. I'm having a hard time answering that because I don't, I'm having a hard time separating my viewing of the Disney movie. Like, how would I retell it within the Disney framework? Nope. Whatever you want it to look like. You can totally change it up. You can Mm. use the characters. You can throw the characters under the bus. You can do whatever you want. What is a better version of this message? I don't even know what the message is supposed to be. Like, mm. Even in the even mm. in the original stories, I think that these stories were designed to reinforce the idea that you either are or you aren't inherently noble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I just don't know that that's a message I can even work with. Like I, I, I think that you know when we talk about Vasilisa, the that thread of it. The notion is that the prince shoots his arrow and a frog catches it in their mouth. Um, 
Yeah, in its mouth somehow. <laughs> and doesn't die. Right. Like, care, catches it. Yeah. Shoots it into the mouth, but he catches it. And that catches this it. is, but that this isn't, you know, um, she's not an ordinary girl. She's actually, in her essence, a princess. <laughs> so it all works out. Like, she's not, this is like Meghan Markle. I think that I would want to focus more on, there's a Chinese folktale called, I'm sure there's a million variations of it, but basically it's the young female head of the whatever family. And it's the same notion that a father is ready to pass on his estate, but he doesn't know which son to give it to. So he sends his sons out to find a wife. And through various tests of merit, et cetera, et cetera, one son comes home with this brilliant young woman who is a peasant Mm -hmm. but by her merit she ascends to leadership of the family because she always just has the wisest solution for all of the problems and it's not magical she just is really really clever and i think that that would be more my story that that this nobility and this worth is about it's about who you craft yourself into not whether you popped out of the right bloodline or not Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I just, I don't honestly know how to work with the Princess and the Frog variations because they're all, it's telling that the Vasilisa the Wise stories come out of a peasant nobility society that had no intention of not being a peasant nobility society at that time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like these were well, the reinforcement the stories. stories. Yeah. Um, and in the one, in the version of, of Iron Heinrich that I read, it's usually the first version in collections of Brothers Grimm princess drops the golden ball frogs in her mm-hmm. room he wants to sleep in her bed and she gets so frustrated with him that in a fit of pique she throws him against the wall and for this she is rewarded by him mm-hmm. turning into the prince and saying oh okay so it's this these oh, stories weird. are designed to say that no matter but what, what happens to you <laughs> as long as you are noble you'll be all right like it it doesn't <laughs> it's very gone with the wind kind of it's very myth of the old south and because it's the same mind i mean it's agricultural nobility peasant reinforcement narratives mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that's what it is and yeah. those look a lot alike i guess across different parts of the world so yeah i don't i don't know that i would rewrite the story i think i would i think i'd skip it and and write something that had to do with inherent worth because you're a human not because you're a somehow have princess essence in your DNA. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What about you, Shane? I also really struggled with trying to figure out how to retell this story. Like, I've really been thinking about it. And there's, yeah, I really, I, I can't hook into, usually I'm, I go for the side characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really hook into anyone in this, in, in the film and, and in the, kind of grim variations of Frog Prince and the Frog King, I also struggle with that because, I mean, it's a spoiled, entitled, lying child who nevertheless gets hoodwinked into marriage to a stranger, to a creeper stranger. Like, it's, it, that, that feels like a story of, it it does not feel good to me. So I actually thought, you know, what I would really be interested in is a real, like a true, not a true fable of New Orleans with all its complications and its beauty and its ugliness. Like the side character I'm interested in is the city. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do magical, magical realism, then do it right. Magical realism is about 
the emotions and interior life of the characters made manifest in the world around them. You know, like Laura Esquivel and that kind of tradition, or the Latin, Latin American tradition, even Alice Hoffman and some of the American or um, U.S. stuff that's come out. Um, it's a deeper layer of like falling in love and cooking dinner and being so overcome with passion that everyone who eats your food makes mad, passionate decisions in right. the hours following. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Like that, like water for chocolate moment mm-hmm. where like just what the characters are feeling pours out into mm-hmm. the world around them and impacts it. That with the, with the, again, that the beauty and the ugliness of New Orleans and that unique relationship and that history, something with that kind of feel in that city that really let New Orleans be New Orleans. But I don't have people in my story because I feel like watching The Princess and the Frog again, thinking about it, like, I don't like any of those people. It's somebody new who populates this this story of the city that I'm interested in, and I, I don't, I haven't met them in this mm-hmm. conversation. Hmm. I have to give credit to Susanna Morris of the Crunk Feminist Collective for the Cousin Meg phrasing. I don't know if other people say that, but I learned it from her because <laughs> yes, her family's yeah. Caribbean yeah. and she calls Cousin Meg, Cousin Meg. And so, so do I. <laughs> Susanna was on the podcast. That's awesome. Excellent. Uh, Wanda, what about you? I think that we deserve a Black princess. Mm. I think that the issue with Disney creating an African-American princess is that they do not work to unravel the fabric that America was built on. Mm -hmm. They just don't want to touch it. Because to talk about an African-American princess is to talk about how that princess's lineage became African-American. And I think that is one of the biggest issues. I think we deserve a princess. And I think that we deserve an African-American princess. Mm -hmm. Hi, this is Shannon. We're taking a break right now so I can tell you a little about the program bringing this podcast to you. Once Upon a Patriarchy is the first in what we hope will be a series of podcasts produced through the graduate program in writing and digital communication at Agnes Scott College. Podcasts in this series advance our vision of cultivating just and inclusive community and promoting respectful dialogue across difference through digital communication. As the faculty director of the program, I'd like to personally invite you to refresh your thinking and career with a master's degree or graduate certificate at the place where liberal arts and professional programs meet. Develop content for the web and social media, and prepare yourself for whatever comes after through digging deep into the history, theory, and cultural impact of the mediums you're working in. Build your writing and technical skills and curate your digital portfolio. Take classes at night or on weekends in person in Decatur, Georgia. Our faculty care about getting to know you and making sure your education helps you meet your goals. For real, I'm one of them. I care. We even have a full-time career coach who can help you strategize your next steps. Visit agnescott.edu slash graduate programs to request information. Now, back to the show. I, I 
there was a part of me when I was first thinking about it, I was like, oh, this is easy. Picture it. Wakanda 2019. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, nah, I'm going to back it up a little bit, back it up a little bit, back it up a little bit. And so how, how do you tell a story of an African-American princess in a region, in an area like a country like America, where we have not done the work to resolve the truth of how America became America? Mm. Right. And so I'm like, OK, so is it that Tiana actually finds and becomes involved with someone of an indigenous background that was, you know, I, I was like, how do we, how do we do that? And I don't know. And I'm still trying to like, this is one of those stories where it's just such a huge responsibility. When you talk about, and this is the thing where people, people get upset when they say, oh, everything with black people is political. You're damn right. Hair, body, way of life because all of it is so constrained and it's just so not talked about and it's just not made available. Um, and we're still getting suspended from school for having big for hair. <laughs> but the hair that grows from my scalp is not acceptable in society. Yeah. Right? I, I, I don't think, I think we have a responsibility to tell a story. But I think that the story that we would have to tell in order for this to ring true for the rest of the Disney formula is a story that will not center whiteness. Mm-hmm. It won't. It just will not center whiteness or it will not paint whiteness as saviors. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the issue. And I think that's the issue that they had with with the princess and the frog. So I'm I'm still I'm still working, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. I think it needs to be uh, a person of color that if we're going by this idea of some form of system of royalty and rule, and if we're going, if we're going to follow the princess formula, right? I think we, we have to look at our, our folks who are native to America. I think that's a story, right? I think that if we're talking about, if I'm just, if I'm just, if the wheels just coming off this thing, I'm just, I'm talking about black love, right? Let's just find two people. Maybe her, maybe her name is princess. Maybe her first name princess. And then she can be a princess all she wants to. Maybe her <laughs> name is princess Desiree Jenkins. <laughs> get it, princess Desiree. And maybe she is, maybe she is um, dating this guy named Prince. <laughs> We had a prince before. It worked out really well for us as a country. Maybe princess and prince meet each other, fall in love, have their moment, get married, right? And 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 maybe that's our story. We also have to acknowledge that the origins of our histories have been so dismantled by white supremacy, that any inadequacies that are found to not be linked to what could be considered a perfect Disney story is not the fault 
of, <laughs> of, of, of of the culture, right? It, it of, of the culture that they're trying to portray is the fault of the system in which we live in. And so the machine is broken. Mm-hmm. And not only is it broken, we've been pretending that it's fixed. And we've been pretending that it's, that it's okay and that it's business as usual. And I think that they bit off more than they can chew. And then I think that they just decided they felt that this was shrouded. This is something that needed to be shrouded in mystery. There's just too much politic around this. And we just need to set it in New Orleans because anything is possible in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So sort of a cheap trick. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's what happened. So, and I was very, very much looking for a, like, I don't, like, I feel like I, I think that they got to a point where someone says, you know what would be great in New Orleans? Oh, that's great. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's set it in the South. Our African-American princess is coming from the South. And somebody said, hold up. That could be problematic as hell. Why? No, this is going to be great. And go to the South. It's going to be in the 20s. Hold up. Let's go back to the history books. And then I think it, they were like, oh, crap. Yeah, we got to. Let's just throw it in. Let's just throw it in New Orleans. Let's put a voodoo doctor here. Which doctor there? I'm surprised they didn't have someone with a bone through their nose. Actually, that's what I was. That's what I was expecting because it played on so many races tropes. All that to say is that I'm working on it, but I do think that we deserve it. I don't think Disney is the vehicle to give us what we need. Going what you said made me understand how I actually would begin Ooh, to rewrite this, and I don't think I could access it until you said what you just said. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's the tension in the fairy tales little black girls imagine about themselves between self-alienation and rooting. And Mm. I think if I was going to tell a story, I would want to tell a fairy tale about, about rooting, Mm. not about escape, not about taking on someone else's identity through a marriage or whatever, but, but about finding yourself, your history, your worth and being rooted in it. And I think that it would look something like um, if we were going to go into the land of Fae and tell this story, Mm -hmm. I think it would look something like a black girl finding. I've been thinking about this actually since the Charlottesville murders and the riots, the Nazi riots in Charlottesville, because I was so struck and so angry and disgusted at the sight of white men with immigrant names mm-hmm. with eastern european slavic names mm-hmm. one of these guys who got profiled you know his name was a yugoslavian name are you kidding me not that he doesn't have a right to be here that's not what i'm getting at but they're marching through the streets of the south chanting blood and soil mm-hmm. as if their blood is in this soil mm-hmm Whose blood is in this soil? It's not yours, Mr. Recent Arrival from Yugoslavia. It's simply not. It's mine and my people. Mm -hmm. And the notion that people, that these guys thought that that their sudden acceptance into the category of American whiteness, because it is recent, (laughs) it is recent that an Eastern European immigrant would get to march with the Nazis and call himself white. (laughs) Yes. That their recent acceptance both into this country's history and into the category of American whiteness, somehow that that fact alone, the fact of whiteness alone, rooted them more deeply in this dirt than the blood of my ancestors who bled into it, was rage-provoking for me. And I think that I would want a fairy tale that told the story of my rootedness in the dirt Mm. of this country. And I think that I would want 
our princess to be dealing with issues of self-alienation and escape fantasies mm-hmm. from the burden of blackness in this country. And I think I would want her, I mean, I wrote essays as a preteen girl about my, you know, my dream of who I wanted to look like. And it was, you know, straight hair. And I just, the burden of carrying around you know, an Afro and dark skin was really, really hard. And I'm not proud of it. And it doesn't make me some kind of emblem for black activism. But whatever, I'm here to tell my story. Honestly, that is that fantasy of escaping from beneath the weight of blackness was a very real self alienation for me that I didn't understand. And I didn't have anyone to guide me through it. And if I could have had a fairy godmother show up Mm. and take me to a tree, take me to the place where violence to that blackness had been done Mm -hmm. and had soaked into the dirt of this ancient tree and given me a physical way to access that journey and to root myself into that soil. I think that would have been the princess story that I needed when I was 11. Um, Not about and I get so emotional because it was so real for me, that struggle. And I really didn't have guidance through it. I didn't have the words to even tell my elders what I was dealing with. And I didn't have the safety for a lot of reasons that have that are not necessarily the fault of the older black women in my life, but they're just too much to get into here. Right. I didn't have the safety to voice that. And if I could have had a fairy godmother show up to rescue me at any point in my life, I think it would have been that point. When the urge to run from the burden of black womanhood in Louisiana was so strong. And when, frankly, the temptation to do so was present because I am biracial, I am light skinned. You slap a perm in this hair, it looks like it always was straight and wavy. I could have lied to myself that the, the carrot was dangling, that it was possible to just escape a little further over into the but it wasn't real. I mean, that doesn't, my daughter has has blonde hair and pink skin and she still is a black woman. Mm -hmm. You don't get to run from who you are because you change cosmetic things and you don't get to escape the burden of this history. But you, how I think my story would start with a black girl in the modern day coping with that. And, and with her being given the chance by a fairy godmother to access her ancestors and to access her rootedness in the dirt of her story. Because that's the other yearning is that black folks always want to root ourselves. We're often obsessed with genealogical myths in our families. We're obsessed with research, but we have been forcibly truncated from the ability to tell that story. So what if our princess is a princess because her ancestors reveal to her who she is not because she goes out and marries some guy who just landed from a made-up exotic place and gets more adjacent to whiteness. But not if she runs, but if she roots. I think that's where I would start to tell this story. And her quest has to be a quest in the company of her own ancestors. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a viable love story that does not include this heteronormative relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's actually... That's also space that Black women aren't given. The space to value, love, support themselves and be vulnerable in a safety. You know, I was raised in a girl gang. My grandmother had a lot of children. And I ended up with five aunts 
and I was raised by these women who I think I was raised by these women who I think in a lot of ways held and created space for rooting for me. And that allowed me to explore and expand with a net. Mm. Yes. You know, and it allowed me to, to stumble through, you know, and, and as you and I have had several conversations around just the diversity within blackness and our experiences with blackness. And I think that that has allowed me, I, I actually, I, I, when I, I did a, a retreat yesterday with some young men and we, we had to do life mapping. And so, and I explained to them that I knew I was a black, I knew I was black. I was going to say a black woman, but I knew I was black before I knew that I would ever become a woman because I was, I had this group, this girl gang of women who automatically saw and and had their own stories and their own experiences around blackness in Mississippi and the South and, and wanted me to have a very good understanding of what it meant to be black in the South and what it meant to how dangerous that could be and also wanting to give me the space like it was all of this learning that happened like this intergenerational learning of who I am and where I come from and also these were the first group of fierce black feminists that who would never call themselves that right mm-hmm. even to this day who would sit my myself my cousins my sisters in a room and we'll talk about like body positivity sex for pleasure self-pleasure like how do you do the work of becoming a full rounded human right and i think that that's a story that is not that experience is not in disney in the disney formula because that's not important right that's not the that's not the the goal of and what i'm realizing now is that the goal of 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 this idea of disney princesses and disney womanhood and disney femininity right it's never this journey for a woman to find herself it is just to find herself attached and aligned with some form of patriarchy and seeing her value there and it's actually dangerous the type of radical love and the radical love story that we're talking about of self-love is actually dangerous to the disney formula Mm -hmm. and i think that that's also something that they probably had some difficulty with because the the love black radical feminist love of self is something that is so it's something that just does not center whiteness it's something that does not necessarily value whiteness as a commodity and i feel like every time i talk with you esther you make me cry Sorry. <laughs> Every time we have a conversation, that might be true. we end up crying and hugging and loving each other. It's because I put my suitcases on the table and just unpack my baggage on the, here on the podcast. Why not? Let's Every, do some therapy. Y'all, I lie to you not. Every time, the first time we met, Esther made me cry. Mm-hmm. We share a lot of the same story, but we come, we're different threads in a very similar story. Yeah. And I think we're both from from poor rural areas that are not too far from each other in, in Louisiana and Mississippi. We right. both, we're not the same story, but we understand each other's context really well. Mm-hmm. 
we were characters in each other's childhoods. Just different dialects. Just different dialects. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for me, in a way, being able to talk with you about these issues of who gets to be a princess in brown skin is a very, I find, in a way, it's a going back for me and a connection with other people in that in my in our common story you're you're someone who represents a part of that story i didn't have the the maturity or context or ability or safety to always open up with and talk to right and so it's a real privilege and a really a really healing and useful thing when you and i have conversations about these things i'm not crying no more esther <laughs> not <laughs> I definitely got much more out of this than I anticipated today. And that has nothing to do with you. It's just, you never know what rabbit holes we go down. And I knew that this was going to be a very special episode for lots of reasons. But I just did not expect the depths that we traversed today. And so I, I thank you so much for... Thank um, you. For thank you. For just being here and opening up, opening up this space. I think this is one of those episodes where I will look back and say, yeah, this is what this is what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. This is what we wanted to do here. This has been amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Esther, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time today. We really appreciate it. <laughs> if you could give folks in the interwebs your preferred contact, if you would like to be reached how and when how could folks reach out to you absolutely my email address is esther at graphradford.com so e-s-t-h-e-r at g-r-a-f-f dash r-a-d-f-o-r-d dot com esther at graphradford.com all right and i think that that just about wraps us up for mm -hmm. this episode um so Y'all take care of yourself out here. And we will see you next time. Once again, I am Wanda Swan. I'm Shannon Palma. And this is Once, Once Upon, Upon a, a Patriarchy. Patriarchy. Don't eat cold beignets. <laughs> <laughs>